turn to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we'll be one final time. Ephesians chapter 4 as we wrap up this weekend's teaching here in Ephesians. This uh, tonight uh, will be my last night with you. Uh, my last time uh, getting to hang out with you. And um, you know what I want to do? I want to do two things tonight. Uh, pretty simple. Keep it pretty simple. Here are the two things I want to do. First things first, I want to say thank you to you. Uh, I want to say thank you to you because before this weekend, we didn't know each other. And, and, and here's what you've done all weekend. Y- you've really sat under some teaching where I know at times we have talked about some really difficult things. Like I've stood up here and talked about some things that may have been really personal for you, really difficult for you, uh, and I know at times that's been challenging. And in a world that says that you don't really need to have difficult things thrown at you, that, that you really just need to be treated well, like you can't handle that, you all have handled it brilliantly. You've handled it with maturity. And here's what I want to beg of you, if you can do anything for the rest of your life, and that is this, to surround yourself with men and women with adults, with mentors, with people in your life who will tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Well, let me say that again to you. Surround yourself with men and women for the rest of your life who will have the courage to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. That's how you grow in this world. So when your small group leader or your Bible study leader or your youth pastor or your parents or a teacher or a coach challenges you, what I want you to do is to be like, they are in my life to help me grow, to help build me into the kind of person that God is making me to be. See, this weekend we've watched these videos before each sermon, and these videos talk about this craftsman who is building something. And I hope what you've picked up without me having to say it that this craftsman is God and what he is building is you. And one of the ways he builds you is to bring men and women into your life who are willing to tell you not just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. So that's number one. Number one is just a thank you. Number two, and this will take up the remainder of our time tonight. I want to stand here tonight and prepare you in every way I can for what comes next. Because whether you like it or not, or realize it or not, or you're ready for it or not, tomorrow morning you will pile up in vans and cars and trucks and buses, and you will head down the hill. You will head back to your churches, back to your homes, and by this time, unless, you know, this crazy storm gets wild, by this time tomorrow night you'll be back at your house. And you'll be back into the normal swing of things, you'll be back getting ready for school, doing all of the things you normally do And what I want to do tonight is I want to prepare you for what comes next. Because I need you to know there are going to be some things flying at you in the next 24, 48, 36 hours that are going to come at you faster than you're aware of. And yet here's one of the things I've learned in my life. I have learned throughout the course of my life that when there are challenges coming my way, but I know they're coming my way, it makes it easier for me to handle the challenge. It's like this, for Christmas uh, last year, uh, my older brother got me the worst present anyone's ever gotten me. So I open up this little envelope and it says, Brian, I have signed you up for a Spartan race with me. Now, if you don't know what a Spartan race is, let me tell you what a Spartan race is. Spartan race is you go out into the middle of nowhere, and this particular Spartan race is a 3.11-mile race, which sounds like a lot of running already. But then in the midst of that 3.11-mile race, there are 20 obstacles. The obstacles are something like climb over this wall, climb under this barbed wire, climb up this rope, throw a spear across the, across the way. 
carry a 60-pound bucket on your shoulder. It's like in the midst of all of these challenges, you're running, and then there's all of these challenges. And, and so he gets me this gift. We sign up. We show up the morning of. And wouldn't you know it, that that particular morning, it is pouring rain and freezing cold. And so I roll up to the Spartan race with my brother and another brother who had to join me with it. It was the worst Christmas gift ever. And we're prepared to go on this thing. But can I tell you something crazy about the day? I'm having to run. I'm having to go over obstacles in the mud under barbed wire. It is like intentional suffering in the cold and the wet and the rain. I had the best day of my life. And you know why I had the best day of my life? Because I knew the challenges were coming. And because I was ready and prepared for it, I was able to enjoy it and overcome those obstacles. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that there are three challenges coming your way in the next 24, 36, 48 hours, in the next 72 hours. I want you to know in the next week there are three distinct challenges coming your way. Because when you are prepared for the challenges, you'll be able to overcome them with joy. Here's the first challenge if you're writing down notes. The first challenge is the challenge of distraction. It's distraction. Like, what I want you to know is that you are going to go home from camp, and suddenly all of these things that were not a distraction while you were at camp will suddenly become one. Like, you have been focused on the Lord and focused on your friends and focused on what God has for your life, and you're going to get home. And there are going to be all sorts of good, wonderful distractions and terrible, awful distractions, but you are going to be hit immediately with distractions on your phone, on your computer, on your television, things that are happening at school and on your team and in the show that you're a part of. There's going to be all sorts of things that are going to take your eye off the ball. Distraction is coming your way. Here's the second thing that's coming your way. Second thing that's coming your way is temptation. Temptation. Maybe for some of you, you came face to face with some of your sin, the ick, the gross stuff inside of your heart and life. And you've been able to avoid that this weekend just because you haven't been home. And you've been surrounded by other believers. So it's been easy for you to avoid that temptation. But by the time you get alone in your room tomorrow night or with your friends at school tomorrow that temptation is coming your way. Here's what's coming at you. You have distraction. You have temptation. And then you have the third one that's coming at you, and that is opposition. Opposition. See, see here's what I know. Some of you have encountered Jesus this weekend, and you feel like you're a different person. It, it's rocked your world. It's changed you. But I need you to know that there are so many people in your life who were not at camp this weekend, and they weren't here to experience what you experienced. So you're going to get home and tell your friends about camp and they're going to mock you for going to Jesus camp. Or you're going to get home and you're going to tell your parents about what happened and they're going to tell you to settle down because maybe your parents don't walk with Jesus and don't understand what you've experienced. Maybe your brother will give you a hard time. Maybe your sister will give you a hard time. Maybe your friends will mock you for not doing all the things you used to do. I want you to know that opposition's coming your way. That in the next week, there are three things coming at you like a freight train. And that is distraction. That is temptation, and that is opposition. And tonight, I want to prepare you for those three things, and I want you pr to prepare you to overcome those obstacles, not just to suffer under the weight of them, but to overcome those obstacles that are coming your way. And here's the three ways we're going to do it. This is the three things this sermon is all about. You can write this down. You'll know exactly where I'm going. Number one, you overcome by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Number two, we're going to talk about overcoming by the word of God. And number three, we're going to talk about overcoming by the people of God. Here's how you overcome the obstacles coming your way. It is the spirit of God. It is the word of God. 
and it is the people of God. Let me show you what I mean here in Ephesians chapter 4. Here's how it begins. Last night we looked at verse 22. I want to get us back to there. So if you look at verse 22, here's what it says. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind, but to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What we said last night is that this is not a moral improvement plan. This is not be a good boy and a good girl and try to be a good person. This is miracle language here. And you know what we got to witness last night right here in this chapel? We got to witness miracles happening. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, it's not just like, oh, that's cool, they made a decision. It is a miracle where the God of the universe reaches down his hand, rescues and saves people. And then here's what I want you to know. If you came to faith in Jesus Christ last night, if you called on the name of the Lord, do you know what the Bible promises? It promises that the God of the universe, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, now lives inside of you. Like, this is crazy. The God of the universe lives inside of your bones now. That's the miracle of salvation. The miracle of salvation isn't just that someday you'll get to go be with God. It's that God takes up residence inside of your body and says, I'll be with you now and forevermore. And what God is doing when he takes up residence is found right here in this verse, verse 24. It says, this new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, so listen, this whole week we've been talking about being recrafted. Like the God of the universe is forming you and shaping you like a master craftsman to turn you into something. And when the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence inside of you, the Holy Spirit is trying to do something to you, to do something in you. And what does it say in the text? That is that you would be like God. Now here's a quiz. On the first night I told you that if there is one word, one word that defines God, one word that describes the God of the Bible, it is the word holy. So what is the Holy Spirit of God trying to make you? Holy. It says it right here. He is making us into true righteousness and holiness. I want you to know this. If you are following after Jesus, you have one mission the rest of your life, and that is to become more like Jesus. To put differently, your mission is to become holy. In fact, I tell people this all the time because people don't tend to like the word holiness. I tell them this, that if holiness is not your mission, then Jesus is not your master. If holiness is not your mission, Jesus is not your master. If you are not becoming this person who is more and more holy every day, every year, every decade for the rest of your life, if that is not you, then you are following after someone that's just not Jesus. Because to follow after Jesus and to walk in holiness is the same thing. It is to be formed into the image and the likeness of the Son. That is your mission as a follower of Jesus. Now, when I say holiness, here's what I know that there's some of you who just kind of hear that word and holy just kind of sounds like stiff and kind of stuffy and kind of no fun. Like you think of a holy person and you think of like a saint in a painting who's got like a little halo on and just they're like this their whole life. But that's not what holiness is. Holiness is not a bummer. Holiness is the best possible state of being you could possibly be in. Holiness is the greatest thing. It is the most desirable thing. It is the most joy-filled life you can possibly have. And I'm going to prove it to you right now. This weekend, in some way or another, for so many of you, I won't say for all of you, but for almost all of you, you have been walking in the way Jesus wants you to walk. You've been obeying his commands. You've been walking in prayer. You've been walking in worship. You've been learning the word. You've been walking in obedience to Jesus. You've been walking to, into holiness. And here's what I want to point out. Do you know how you feel right now? 
this feeling of like everything's right. This is how I should be living. This feeling you have where it almost feels like this euphoric high inside of you. That's holiness. Holiness is not a bummer. Holiness is not some like sad way to go through life so you can get to heaven and be happy. Holiness is directly tied to our joy. So when you walk in holiness, that's this experience you have. And what I want for you is to not just have this experience when you're at camp in the winter and camp in the summer. What I want for you is to have this experience of holiness and joy your entire life. It's like this, like when I was your age and in high school too, um, I called myself like a camp addict. See, here's kind of what I did. I went to every winter camp, every summer camp I could possibly go to uh, when I was your age and then when I was in high school. And I'd go to winter camp and I'd have this awesome experience of God. And it would last for like a week or two. And then I'd just kind of like go down and down and down and not be doing so good. But then summer camp would come. And summer camp was a week long. And so it was like, I'm so close to God and I'd be so good. And and then summer camp, maybe two weeks later, uh, I'd be back down and I'd get through the fall. But winter camp was coming again. And this was my entire spiritual experience. It was never steady. It was never consistent. It was just this up and down and up and down. Because I thought, I thought when I was at camp, I was experiencing something that my friends called the camp high. Like, like I thought I was experiencing that. And so in my mind, I thought I had to get back to camp in order to have that high, that closeness with Jesus. But here's what I want to tell you this tonight, and if you're writing notes, write this down. You do not have a camp high right now. There is no such thing as a camp high. You do not have a camp high. Write this down. You have an obedience high. You have an obedience high. Like this feeling, this emotion, this sense inside of you that you are so close to God right now has nothing to do with this campground we're on right now. It has nothing to do with your dormitory. It has nothing to do with this chapel. Nothing to do with the dining hall. As special as this place is, the thing you're experiencing right now has everything to do with your obedience to God. You know, people talk about this camp I and they talk about it like it's this profound mystery. They're like, I don't know what happened. I got away from all the distractions in my life, left behind all my sins. I got around other believers. I prayed, I worshiped, I sat under biblical teaching. I spent time confessing and repenting of my sins. I was all in on what God had for me, and I feel brilliant. It's such a mystery. It's like it's not a mystery. You walked in obedience to God. In, in Paul's language here, you walked in true righteousness and holiness. God made you a little more like him. And that's what you're experiencing right now. And you want to know why this is just the best news of the world? Because if this is a camp high and this is all about camp or Hume Lake or being in the mountains, then good luck because you just got to come back next year and try it again. But if you are actually experiencing obedience high, this is what's so cool. You can have an obedience high tomorrow and the next day, and next week, and next weekend, and next Wednesday, and next Thursday, and and next Tuesday, and in February, and in March, and in June, and all throughout your year, you can experience this holiness, this closeness with God. See, Paul goes on this way in verse 25. He says, therefore, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So, so here's what Paul does. Paul is talking about you're going to live this kind of life where you are being made like God. You're being formed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. You're being recrafted. And then he's going to say, therefore, like if you're going to try to live in holiness and you're going to try to walk in obedience, therefore, here's some commands for you to obey. 
And so what you're going to hear tonight are some commands for you to obey, to continue to experience this holiness, this obedience high that God is stirring up in you this weekend. And I want you to see these first two commands that we have here. The first command is about the words that come out of your mouth. Therefore, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. You know what this is saying here? Put off falsehood is another way of saying stop lying to people. Stop lying to your friends. Stop lying to your teachers about your homework. Stop lying to your parents about anything. Stop lying to your youth pastor. Stop lying to anyone. The words that come out of your mouth are not neutral. When you lie, it damages your spirituality. It damages your relationship with Jesus. It takes you away from the holiness. And it takes you away from what God is trying to stir up in your life. So Paul says, don't lie to one another. Put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to people. Speak truthfully to your parents. And then it says this. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. I, I want you to know that you're kind of taught sometimes, like your emotions, you're not in control, so just feel whatever you want to feel and just emote however you want to emote. But here's what the Bible says, that actually anger is like this normal human experience, but you dealing with that anger, your anger toward your friends, your anger toward someone who hurt you and wounded you, your anger toward your brother, your anger toward your sister, your anger toward your dad, you dealing with that anger is a key part of you moving forward in Jesus. That you need to deal with your anger. You need to deal with your emotions. You need to handle those and move forward in those. Again, Paul says the words that come out of your mouth, the things you feel inside of you, those are going to impact your holiness. Those are going to impact your relationship with Jesus Christ. But then, in what we just read, Paul slides in something that's almost easy to miss. Like, if you're not looking closely, you'll kind of miss it. He basically says, don't lie and deal with your anger. But then he says something so fascinating in verse 27. Do you see what he says here? He says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Like, in other words, somehow when I'm lying or not dealing with my anger, I am actually giving the devil a foothold. I'm actually giving Satan, the enemy of my soul, a foothold in my life. Now, here's what I know. I know there's a lot of people who think it's crazy to believe in Satan crazy to believe in an actual devil but i don't think it's crazy to believe in satan at all in fact when i look around the world and i see how crazy things are when i see how sinful and wicked things are when i see the hatred when i see the violence when i see the poverty when i see the racism when i see the evil things that are going on in this world i don't think it's crazy to believe in satan i think it's crazy not to believe in satan because there is something and someone that is stirring up this wickedness in the world and here's what I want you to know, that there is a real Satan. He is the devil, the enemy of your soul. He hates God and he hates you. He's not a little red man with a pitchfork who just plays games and plays tricks on people. He is out for your destruction because he hates you. He hates what happened at camp this weekend. He hates that you want to follow after Jesus. For those of you that stood last night, he saw that and he hated it because he hates you and he wants to destroy you. See, there is an enemy, the devil, in your life. And he wants to take you down after camp. He wants to tempt you and distract you and come up against you. He wants to do that. But here's the tragedy for so many Christians. There are millions of Christians, maybe even some of us in this room, who live as if Satan doesn't even exist. You live as if he doesn't even exist. And he does. And he wants to get a foothold in your life. And here are the four ways, if you're writing down notes, the four ways that Satan's going to come up against you when you leave camp. Like, it's just so obvious. Like, this is what we see in the scripture. Here's the first one. The first one is the battle for your mind, and that is called deception. Deception. 
It is the battle for your mind. You know what Satan's going to do when you get home? He's going to whisper lies into your ears. Like your ears are going to hear lies. Here's what the lies might sound like. Nothing that happened at camp was real. It was all just fake. It was just emotion. It wasn't even real. Move on with your life. You know what lies some of you are going to hear in your ears? They hate you at that church. No one really likes you. They talk about you behind your back. Everyone pretends to like you, but they don't actually like you. That is a lie from Satan. That is a lie from the devil. See, deception is this battle for our mind, and Satan loves to lie. He loves to deceive. He loves to confuse you when you go home. And the way we push back against the lies of the devil, deception, that battle for our mind, is by knowing the word of God. We fight the lies of the devil by knowing the truth of God. So listen, those lies are going to come your way, and your job is to recognize those. To say, Satan is coming against me. He hates me. He's trying to destroy me, and he's going to lie to me. That is the battle for my mind. So one, deception is the battle for my mind. Number two is discouragement. Discouragement is the battle for my heart. Here's how Satan discourages us. You're going to go home tomorrow, uh, and you're going to explain what happened during camp to a friend, to someone in your family, and they're not going to get it, and they're going to kind of snicker at you, and they're not really going to be as excited as you thought they would be, and that's just going to be like a balloon that gets popped inside of your heart. And Satan will stir that up to see, see, no one cares about your life. No one cares about your walk with Jesus. You might as well go back to the old stuff. And I want you to know when you experience that discouragement, when you feel that discouragement inside of you that just feels like, man, like I just feel so discouraged. The way to fight against that is by to le- is leaning into the people of God. When you feel discouraged, when I feel discouraged, don't sit alone and just feel sad about it. Call a friend, call your Bible study leader, your small group leader, your youth pastor, a Christian friend, and just say, I'm feeling this way. Would you pray for me? Would you encourage me right now? See, Satan's first tactic is a battle for your mind called deception. The second is the battle for your heart, and that is discouragement. The third is the battle for your strength, and that is temptation. Temptation. Uh, Like for some of you, you've kind of been away from cell service or your phones, and so you haven't been able to go on those websites you always went on. You haven't been able to talk to the people you always talk to. You haven't seen some of the people who stir up sin in your life, and you're going to see them, and Satan is going to use that to tempt you to walk in sin. And he'll say things like, well, it's just one last time. How's it going to hurt anyone? He's going to say things like, well, no one's ever going to find out, so why don't you lean in? And you fight that temptation by choosing to walk in obedience by choosing to walk in submission to the Spirit of God. See, again, Satan's going to come at you with deception. That's the battle for your mind. Discouragement, that's the battle for your heart. He's going to come at you with temptation, which is the battle for your strength. And the final thing Satan's going to come after you with, and I don't want you to miss this, is accusation. And that is the battle for your soul. It is the battle for your soul. Do you know what Satan loves to say? Satan loves to say, that young man is a sinner. That young woman has fallen short. That young man has done terrible things. That young woman has a terrible past. And you know what's crazy? Satan's right. I'm a sinner. His accusation against me is true. It is accurate. But you know how we push back when Satan accuses you and you feel gross and icky and shameful and guilty on the inside? You know how you push back against the accusation of Satan that you are a great sinner? You say, Satan... I know I'm a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. His name is Jesus. He reached his hand down. He rescued me out of the mud, out of the mire. He has placed me on solid ground, and he says that there is no condemnation for me anymore. That is how we push back against the accusation of Satan. Again, Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. 
He's going after your mind with deception. He's going after your heart with discouragement. He's going after your strength with temptation. He's going after your soul with accusation. And the way we fight back against Satan is, again, through walking in obedience to the Spirit of God, by listening to the truth of the Word of God, and surrounding ourselves with the people of God, His church. It goes on this way in verse 28. It says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands, that they might have something to share with those who are in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. So I hope you heard this. There's two commands here. Again, two more commands to walk in obedience to. The first is this. Anyone who's stealing shouldn't steal any longer. You know what it's saying? Stop stealing things. Stop stealing things from your friends. Stop stealing things from your parents, from your siblings. Listen, stop stealing things online. Just because something's digital and it doesn't have like a physical presence doesn't mean you can't steal it. So he says, stop stealing things. And then you know what he says in verse 29? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Stop using foul words. Stop using words for women that you would never, never be caught dead using in front of me. Using in front of your parents. Stop using the foul language that you hear in music nowadays. Stop doing that. But then let me tell you something crazy and beautiful about these verses. Most religions just have rules. Hey, don't use bad language. Hey, don't steal things. And those rules tend to work for only a little bit. But they don't work forever. Because the real truth is when you stop doing something, it's hard to stop doing it unless you start doing something else. But here's what I want you to see in verse 28. This is what's so brilliant about the scriptures. It doesn't just say don't steal any longer. It says don't steal any longer, but work. Do something useful with your hands. So you might have something to share with those in need. In other words, it's like stop stealing with your hands, but instead use those hands to love and serve other people. Or in verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Like stop swearing, stop saying vulgar and foul things. Stop trying to impress people with how vulgar and crass your language can be. Instead, it says use only what's helpful for building others up that you might benefit. In other words, stop swearing and start using your words to build up and encourage and bless other people. Do you see what this is? It's not just stop swearing and stop stealing. It's stop stealing so you can help people in need. Stop swearing so you can use your words to actually bless people. Like, I want you to know following Jesus is not just about avoiding sin. Following Jesus is about avoiding sin so that we can use that energy to love other people. Like, the point of following Jesus is not just, like, sin management. The point of following Jesus is love. That we can love God and love others. Like what Paul is saying here is like there's all this energy packed inside of you. And sometimes you want to funnel that towards sin. And he's saying don't do that anymore. Instead, take that energy inside of you and instead direct it toward the things that God loves. And God loves people. Serve them. Build them up. Encourage them. Like here's what I want you to know. Whether your sin is stealing or whether your sin is foul language, whether your sin is pornography or drugs, or alcohol, or anything else in this world, you will never overcome that sin until you find something you want more than that. And so if you're just trying to manage and fight your sin, you will never actually win until you take all of the energy that goes into that sin and instead choose to love and serve and build up and encourage others. And if you make your life's mission, the building up and loving and serving and caring for other people, 
including your brother and your sister and your mom and your dad and the people sitting to your left and right right now, the people at your church, the people at your school, and tell your mission is to love those people, you will never overcome this sin. Because so, the point of following Jesus is not managing sin. The point of following Jesus is love. And that is what Paul is inviting us toward here. That is what it means for us to follow Jesus, that we would be the type of people who walk in love, who walk by the Spirit. You know, there's this verse, and we won't turn there right now, but it's brilliant in the book of Galatians. It's Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. And here's what it says. It says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not desire, or gratify the desires of the flesh. Like in other words, the way you overcome sin is not by just trying to manage your sin and try to do a little better and try really, really, really hard not to do it. The way you overcome your sin is to set your eyes on Jesus. If you focus on your sin, you'll never overcome it. If you focus on your Jesus, you will find victory over your sin. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 says this, set your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It goes on to say, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you might not grow weary and lose heart. If you focus your eyes on your sin, you will always lose. If you focus your eyes on Jesus, if you walk by the Spirit, you will conquer, you will overcome, you will find victory over your sin. You see, we are called to walk by the Spirit. But here's what I want you to know. You cannot walk by the Spirit of God if you are not familiar with the Word of God. Let me say that again because it's so critical. Write this down. I cannot walk by the Spirit of God if I do not know the Word of God. And when I say the Word of God, I mean what He has spoken and what is being written down in the Scriptures. And so I want you to know one of the most critical things you will do when you go home from camp, if you want to continue to walk by the Spirit of God, if you want to continue to walk in this holiness, this obedience that you've been walking into, is that you would be someone who knows and loves and treasures and moves the Bible to the center of your life. I want you to be that kind of person who knows your Bible and loves your Bible and studies your Bible, who takes notes on your Bible and opens it up and highlights it and has a Bible reading plan and works through it. And if you're going to read your Bible, there's two things at least you need to do. The first is, man, when you go home from camp, you need to create a plan, a Bible reading plan. You know what the Bible reading plan you don't need is? You know what so many Christians do? They do what I call the lucky flip. They sit down in the morning, they're like, I'm going to read my Bible, and they just flip it open. And suddenly they're in the middle of Jeremiah, and it's like, and God said to Judah, stop sinning. And you're like, okay, I guess I should stop sinning, right? It's a terrible method. Like, what you need to do is not just kind of flip randomly. You need to create a plan so that you can learn the scriptures over and over and over again. It's the way everything else in our life functions. When we have a plan, that plan can materialize and grow. It's like this. Let me ask this question. Who here plays a sport or does athletic training of any kind? Okay, most of you. So, so I didn't have, like, some crazy career, but I had enough of an athletic career to know this. When you train for sports, it's not random. Like, if I'm like, I want to get in shape, and I go into the gym, and the first day, I do, like, bench press and squat, and I do overhead press and deadlifts, and I'm like, all right, that was cool. And then the next day, I wander in, I'm like, today, I'm going to swim. And the next day, I'm like, today, I'm just going to sit in the sauna and go on the elliptical. And the next day, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do the free weights, and the next day, I'm going to play basketball. 
I'm never going to get in shape, right? Like I could get some over, I could get some benefits. But what real benefit is this, is I have a plan. And I go in one day and I do the plan and then I build on the plan the next day and I keep going and I keep going and I keep going. The same is true with reading the Bible. If you're just randomly trying to read verses, it's never really going to work out for you. But if you have a plan and work the plan, you will start to grow spiritually in the Word of God, understanding the Spirit of God. And here's the most brilliant thing about the time of life you live in. If you go to the Google machine and type in Bible reading plans, you will find hundreds of millions of Bible reading plans. You can have it on your phone, you can have apps, you can print it out old school and actually check it off as you go. There are Bible reading plans coming out your ears right now. All you have to do is go look for one. And if you were like, I'm so confused, I don't even know where to start reading in the Bible, I have a question. And I'm going to ask this question, and here's the rules to the question. You are only allowed to answer the question out loud if you are over the age of 18. All right. Leaders, you get to answer the question. Students, Here's the question. Leaders in this room, this is a yes-no question. I'll count to three. You say out loud yes or no very clearly and decisively. If one of your students walked up to you tonight, tomorrow morning, sometime this next week, sometime in the next year and said, I'm confused. I don't know how to read my Bible. I would like to figure out how to read my Bible, but I don't even know where to start. Would you as a leader have both the time and the inclination and the energy and the willingness to help them figure out a Bible reading plan for themselves so that they can read the Bible? Would you as a leader be inclined to help that student figure out how to read the Bible on their own? One, two, three. Listen, shh, shh, shh. You, you just missed something. If you weren't listening closely, you just missed the fact that there are adults in your life who are actually willing for like no benefit of their own to help you figure out how to follow Jesus. That, that is, without a doubt, the coolest thing. And, and some of you don't even realize how amazing that is. That if you're like, I don't even know how to start reading the Bible, there are dozens of adults in this room who just said, I'll help. And maybe for some of you in your life, adults have just abandoned you. They've not cared about you. They've not really invested anything. They've not given a rip about your life. But here's these adults who are like, if they came to me, I'd help. I'd do anything I can. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to have a plan. And then the second thing I want you to do once you create that plan is cultivate a lifestyle. Here's what I want you to move from. I want you to move from, oh, I'm supposed to read my Bible, to I am a Bible reader. It's the difference between someone who says, I have to train for soccer versus I am a soccer player. Someone who says, oh, I need to like study for this test versus I am a student. When you start to internalize and say, this is just who I am. It's just part of me. I don't have to get up and decide it every day. It's kind of like this activity that you've internalized. Like sometime along the way, you internalize the behavior of brushing your teeth. Hopefully. And, 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 and here's, what I, here's, here's what's crazy. This hasn't actually been the case for all of human history. Like 2,000 years ago, they weren't like, can I get my toothbrush, please? They didn't have them. But now you do. And you have been trained your entire life to brush your teeth, hopefully in the morning and at night. And you brush your teeth, you brush your teeth, you brush your teeth. You don't have to like wake up every day and be like, is today going to be a toothbrushing day or not? No, like you do it. It's just who you are. It's part of you. It's so been ingrained in you. And here's what I know. If for some reason there was a day you forgot to brush your teeth, like somehow you just missed it, you fell asleep, you woke up the next morning, you wouldn't be like, my streak of teeth brushing is over. <laughs> I'm going to give up. I'll never do it again. 
You wouldn't do that. What would you do? You'd just pick up your toothbrush and you'd brush and you'd get the sweaters off your teeth, right? Like that's what you'd do. You would do it right away. And here's what I want you to do. Someday you're going to try to read the Bible and you're going to miss. You're going to forget. But you know what I try to do in my own life with important things like this? Here's a little philosophy I go by. Never miss two days in a row. So if you miss a day, you miss a random Tuesday, wake up on Wednesday and read the Bible. Never miss two days in a row. Make it part of your life, a non-negotiable. You eat, you sleep, you brush your teeth, you do your homework, you read your Bible. It's a normal part of your life because when you know the Word of God, you will be able to understand and walk in the power of the Spirit of God. Here's how we close tonight. Verse 30 says this. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When it says you're sealed, it means the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you and will be with you forevermore until you are with God in heaven forevermore. And it says don't grieve him. Like in other words, you can actually grieve God. You can grieve him. You can make him sad. You can make him feel like, no, I want better for you. So it says don't do that. Don't live in that kind of way. And then in verse 31, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander and every form of malice. Malice is when you're just wanting wickedness for someone else. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Let me tell you something. It is impossible for you to walk in obedience to this command if you are not regularly faithfully and joyfully participating in the life of your church. How, how are you supposed to love one another if you're never even there? How are you supposed to forgive one another or care for one another? How are you supposed to get rid of all these weird relationship things like bitterness and rage and anger and slander and malice and brawling? How are you supposed to get rid of that if you're not even there? Uh, like here's what we're called to do. Within your youth group, get rid of bitterness if there's someone who hurt you a long time ago, you got to go talk to them, work it out, be done being bitter once this camp is over. Get rid of rage and anger. If there's someone you're mad at in your church, in your youth group, you got to talk it through with them. you got to pray it through with them. you got to sit down and you got to say, honestly, you made me mad and I want to work through this. And maybe you pray over it together. Get rid of brawling and slander. Get rid of this fighting, this pettiness, this slander where you talk about her behind her back or talk about him behind his back. Get rid of every form of malice where you want to get back at someone for what they've done. You know what you should be to one another? You should be kind to the people in your youth group. You should be compassionate to them. You should forgive one another just as in Christ God forgave you. Listen, we are called as Christians not just to follow Jesus on our own, but we are called to follow Christians as part of a local church. Because don't miss this. The local church, your church, the four churches here, the church you came up with is the soil in which healthy Christians grow. I say that again. The local church is the soil in which healthy Christians grow. And if you go home from camp and disconnect yourself from your church, you will not grow into the person God is trying to craft you into. And the great tragedy of it is this. I've done this long enough to know that some of you will go home and then someone will make you mad and someone won't show up or someone will let you down or life will get busy and it'll be two weeks from now and you'll miss Wednesday night youth group, you'll miss Sunday morning church, you'll miss Tuesday night Bible study, you'll miss whatever the thing is that's going on. And that is a great tragedy because God has designed you not just to be you and him alone, but rather to be part of a church that follows Jesus together. Like, let me put it to you this way, the best way I can think of. 
how you need the church. Um, I want you to think about this device right here. This device right here. Um, there are two things that are needed for this device to work properly. There are two things that are needed. The first thing that you need in order for this device to work is power. It's power. Now let me ask this question. I don't know if all of you have your phones or have a phone at all, uh, but if you have a phone up here and you would be willing to admit it, who would be willing to admit you forgot your charger this weekend and your phone has died? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, no one. Okay, right, good. Good. Here's, here's why I'm glad. Oh, oh, someone over here. But, but, but here's why I'm glad it's not a lot of you, because we are the most dramatic people with our phones. We don't say our phone's out of battery. We're like, it's dead. It's dead. It's dead. We are so dramatic with our phones. But here's what you know. If this thing has no power, it is a really, 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 really expensive paperweight, right? There is nothing that can happen of any value with this phone if it has no power. And yet, here's what I want you to know. If it has power, it actually can't accomplish what you want it to accomplish without something else. And that something else is a network. That could be Wi-Fi, that could be a cell signal, that could be something. But if you are somehow in the mountains, like at times I've been up in the mountains here, and, and there's been no cell service whatsoever, it's like, yeah, this is cool for taking pictures, and it's cool for playing games, and I can listen to some music, but that's about all it can do. It won't function the way it's supposed to function. Because in order for a phone to work, you need power, and you need a network. And in order for a Christian to become the person that God is trying to make you become, you need two things. You need power. And you need a network. You know how that power comes? That power comes the moment you call on the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of your bones. And you become born again and saved. Last night in this room, a number of you received that power. The lights went on. The Holy Spirit lives in you. There is power. But here's what most Christians forget. You don't just need power. In order for you to function as Christ would have you function, you need power. And you need a network. And you know what that network is called? That network is called the church, where you sync up with all of these other Christians who are helping you become the person that Jesus is trying to make you into, who is helping you become the person that God has formed you and made you to be. And here's what I want to call you toward tonight. I want to call you to recommit to that network. Because I know for so many of you, the temptation when you leave this place will be to go off on your own, to forget to go to church, to stop going to church, to make it lower on your priority list, to boot it off of your priority list and to not be there. And I think that is a great tragedy because if you want to grow, you need power, you need a network. The local church is the soil in which healthy Christians grow. So here's how we're going to close this sermon tonight. We're going to close this sermon with another invitation, just like we had last night. Last night I gave you an invitation, and that invitation was to receive the power of God, of salvation. The power of God of salvation, of the Holy Spirit of God coming inside of you. That was the invitation last night. Tonight, I'm going to give a very simple invitation. And that is for those of you who need to recommit yourself to the network, to the church. See, there are some of you that you're here at camp, and this is kind of your pattern. You show up at camp, and then you roll out, and you don't come back till summer camp. For some of you, you used to be really involved in church, and now you've just kind of been drifting. And for others of you, you know this is a temptation for you to just kind of drift away from church. And tonight, tonight I want to call you back to that network. Last night, we did it in this way. We had you stand before your peers. 
to say tonight I'm calling on the name of the Lord too. I can be saved. I am receiving that power. And tonight I'm going to invite you to do the exact same thing. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to stand to your feet. If you know you have been drifting from your church, if you know you need to recommit to your church. Now listen, this isn't all of you. Some of you are all in. You're bought in. You know you're bought in. You have been bought in. You will be bought in. This isn't for you. But if you have been drifting, if you've been not sure that you're connected, if you've been kind of on the edge of things, but not really joining the Bible study, not really serving, not going on the mission trip, not really being a part of the core of what's going on at your youth group, right now is the invitation for you to stand before your friends and your youth pastor and your mentors and your leaders and to say, I'm in because I need power, but I also need a network. And so here's what we're going to do. You know, you're going to stand someday before God alone and make it about what you did with Jesus. But you will stand with everyone who is here as part of this network, this church. So rather than closing our eyes and bowing our heads, I'm simply going to count to three. And on three, if you need to recommit to your local church and say, I am all in on this church going forward. On three, I want you to stand to your feet. One, two, three. On your feet right now. All over this room. All over this room, there's still time. If that's you, if you're like, oh, I need to stand, I don't want to, but I'm going to, do it right now. This is the moment to be bold and brave and obedient and to say, that's me. And that is awesome. Hey, would you stay standing and look at me here? The first thing I want to say is this. Thank you for being bold. Thank you for being brave. And thank you for being honest. I believe we grow when we're honest, when we confess and repent with one another, when we indicate that we're willing to lean in like never before. In fact, I think the courage shown with these people deserves a round of applause tonight from all of the rest of us. And here's what I want you to do. Those of you standing, those of you standing, I want you before camp is over to talk to a leader, talk to a friend, talk to your youth pastor and say, how can I get more involved? How can I lean in? Is it a Bible study? Is it serving with the kids in the church? Is it going on a mission trip? Is it showing up early to set up chairs? Is it staying late? How can I help? How can I be involved? How can I lean in to this local church, the network that I need in order to thrive? Hey, can I ask this? Would everyone else in this room stand to your feet? We're going to close with one more song, but before we do, I want to remind you of what I said on the very first night. I stood here and I told you that nobody... Nobody is at this camp by accident. That the God of the universe brought you here on purpose and for a purpose. And the only question I said is that the God of the universe has something to say to you. And the only question, the only one, is whether or not you will have the ears to hear it. And my hope, my hope is that you have heard the God of the universe speak to you. Through his word, through his spirit, through his people. And that you will in turn... Walk in obedience to the God who is making and forming and crafting you into the image and the likeness of the Son. May you go forth, not as an individual Christian, but as a church, as a community, as a group of people bound together in Jesus Christ, and follow him and allow him to make you holy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity for one last time. For all of us to gather in this place and to declare that you have brought us here on purpose and for a purpose, that you have spoken. And God, I pray each of us have heard you speak. And as we go forth tomorrow morning, may you fill us with courage, may you fill us with faith. May your spirit, may your word, may your people be the defining aspects of our life. And may we walk in obedience to you. God, we thank you for making us new creations. 
crafted in your image, made into the likeness of the Son. May that be true of us now and forevermore. We pray this in Christ's name. One last time we said real loud.